he, uh, he knew something was, was wrong, very wrong, but he hoped, like, like most men, if he waited long enough, it would just go away. Two months ago, I walked into the house and my, my beautiful wife, Ruth, was there. And she said, uh, she doesn't usually greet me this way, but she said, what happened to your face? <laughs> she said, specifically your eye, your left eye. It uh, doesn't look good. It's red and I, I can see it looks like a little bump down there. And I said, uh, she goes, does that hurt? I said, well, I said, I, I cry a lot. Uh, it just tears up. I call it my Jim Hall eye. And uh, <laughs> you say, did you say that? No, I really, I said that. And uh, I said it to Jim too. I mean, I'm not, not surprising him right now. She said, well, you need to get that looked at. I said, oh, I said, I think it'll just go away. She said, well, this is your eye, honey. You shouldn't, shouldn't mess with this. And uh, I said, well, I, when I go to the eye doctor, the wait is so long. It drives me nuts. And Finally, she just said, if I make the appointment, will you go? And I said, okay, I'll go. So he knew something was wrong, very wrong, but he thought to himself, I can wait it out. If I just wait long enough, it'll, it'll go away. But it didn't. In fact, other people began to notice. They began to say things to him like, you don't look so good. You look pale and and sickly, and, and as he thought about it, he thought, I don't look good, I don't, I don't feel good. So he realized he had to take, on foot, an 80-mile journey to a big city to be go looked at. After several days, he, he reached the big city, it was Jerusalem, and he was shown to a room, and after what seemed like several hours, the door opened, and an official-looking gentleman came out, it was the priest, and he said, what's going on? He said, well, and he proceeded to show him under his collar, sandal, on his arm, bumps, nodules, filled with pus and oozing. And after looking at the, the, last, the last bump, the priest jumped back and with a wild look in his eyes, he said this to the man, I declare right now that you are unclean. And he proceeded to read Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean and he shall, he shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp, and then the priest said one last thing. He said, may God have mercy on your soul. And with that, he left the room. The man's worst nightmare had just come true. Leprosy was the most dreaded disease at that time, much like AIDS or Ebola or the coronavirus today. As he slowly picked himself up, he stood in the dark room, as you can imagine, and for several minutes, he, he just stood and stared in shock. Then with determination, he began to rip his favorite robe that his wife had made for him. He bent down that dirt floor there and he began to put dust on his face and on his body. Rubbed it all over to, to the point where he looked like, like it was a horror movie. And then he stepped outside 
He looked around and then he uttered these dreaded words. I am unclean. I'm unclean. Stay away from me. I am unclean. And immediately the people began to scatter. For the first time in his life, people recoiled when they saw him. A mother quickly grabbed her child and yelled, stay away from that man. Don't touch him. Quickly the leper made his way outside the city to open countryside. As he began the 80-mile walk back, he knew it would go from bad to worse. He knew he could no longer have contact with his wife or children or his community. As he approached from a distance, his wife and children saw him and they began to run towards him. And immediately he threw up his hands and he, he yelled, stop. Keep away from me. I'm no longer your, your husband or your father. I'm a leper. The man's health went downhill quickly. His body started decomposing and the odor of death poured from all of his pores. He lost all feeling in his extremities. He could no longer sense pain. His fingers and his toes began to fall off. The word leprosy is from the word lepros, which means scaly. In the Old Testament, it meant to rot. And that's exactly what was happening. He was a, a dead man walking. When people saw him, they'd throw stones at him. As he neared the end of his life, his face would have been unrecognizable. One of the laws added by the rabbi said that it was unlawful for a leper, a leper to get within 50 feet of a clean person. On a windy day, that rule changed to 200 feet. Leprosy was a physical disease, but it also made this man feel spiritually dirty and socially distant. He was decaying and dying in slow motion. And there was nothing he could do about it. He was losing his eyesight. He was progressively self-destructing. The leper had become utterly repulsive to others and to himself. These five words describe his condition. Unclean, unwanted, unworthy, unloved, isolated. With that discouraging intro but it will get better. Let me welcome you back to our, our teaching series in the Gospel of Mark. If you'd like to follow along more closely, you can find my, my teaching, my teaching notes on the Bible app. I'd encourage you to go there. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, please open your Bibles and Bible apps to Mark chapter one and verse 40. Before we get there, by way of review, and if you haven't heard it yet, I would highly recommend it. It was fantastic. Go to our webpage and you can listen to Kevin's talk. And he had talked about Jesus as he was ministering, as he was healing, as he was giving of himself that he had to get away. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had to get refreshed with the Father. He had to find a solitary place. He had to Sabbath. He had to say no to the things that 
that would cause, cause him to be busy all the time. So when he said no to that and refreshed himself with the Father, he could then go do ministry. In our text this morning, we're going to learn that Jesus loves the unlovely and he touches the untouchable. Let me say that again. Jesus loves the unlovely and he touches the untouchable. And as we walk through this passage, we'll see this man's misery, Jesus' compassion, a message for every single one of us in this room. And then for those of us who know and love Jesus, a call to mission. Four words this morning. First word, misery. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Let me state the obvious. This man was miserable. He was in misery. Men like him were told to stand at a distance like the ten lepers did in in Luke chapter 17 and verse 12. In, in a parallel count, also in the Gospel of Luke, our passage reads like this. It harmonizes. It gives us more insight to what was going on. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The text says that he was covered with leprosy. That is a clinical medical diagnosis by Dr. Luke, the Gentile doctor. This isn't a man who has simply got a little bit of leprosy. He doesn't have leprosy light. It's not at the beginning stages. He is covered with it. He has open sores on his ears and his nose and his eyelids and his lips and his fingers. His face is covered. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. You say, well, Lee, what, what's going on here? You might want to write this down. This is utter humility, total desperation, complete reverence for Jesus. If his condition was as advanced as Luke indicates, he may not have had all of his fingers and toes. His joints would have been infected and affected. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it was difficult for him to, to get down on his face? You bet it was. And so rather than doing so gracefully, he simply just falls in the dirt. Just goes to his knee. I mean, can you imagine the pain? Why does he do this? Why does he just simply fall on his face, on his knees before Jesus? It's an act of worship. He is worshiping Jesus. Now, often I hear this. Some people say to me, they say, well, Lee, you know, um, if, if Jesus would heal me, then I would worship him. If Jesus would do what I would want him to do, then maybe, just maybe, I, I might give him my allegiance. This man says, whether or not you heal me, I will worship you because you are worthy. That should be our, our attitude toward Jesus. Notice that it says he, he begged him. This man is, is desperate. In my 
54 years of living on this planet. I'm not super old, but I'm old enough. I get it for you in the front, I'm super old. But I've noticed there's always three type of, there might be more, there might, you can mix these around, but there are three types of people on this planet. The first type, and I want you to see this, there are some who, they don't pray either because they're self-sufficient and or their life doesn't have any uh, immediate visible crisis. I'm good. I don't need God. I don't need anything. I'm good. My life's pretty good. I can handle this. I can take it from here. I see a lot of those people. That's the family I, I grew up in. The second type are, are, are this. There are some who pray on occasion as a need arises. Sometimes we, we call them foxhole Christians. Like when everything is good, they're like, everything's great, I don't need God. Then all of a sudden the bombs start coming, the spiritual arrows start coming. They jump in a foxhole, God, I need you. Help me. And then it, it gets good and they kind of like dust themselves off and I don't really need God anymore. I'll take it from here. And then there's the third time. I call those desperate prayers. Call me crazy, but I think God is fond of desperate prayers. He's fond of people who beg him because they absolutely know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that apart from his grace, they are, are doomed, they are done, they are finished, that life is hopeless. This was that man's condition. He was hopeless, and apart from God's grace, there was nothing that could be done. And so he is a desperate prayer, not just asking Jesus, but begging him. You know, that's a theme we see throughout the New Testament. We call it persistent prayer, but it often just looks like begging. Going before the judge, going before God, going to your neighbor, just begging, begging, begging. I... God, I have to have this, I need this, I want this, I'm doomed without you. No one can heal me but you, no one can save my child but you, no one can meet those needs but you. In Dr. Luke's account, he says, Lord, now why does he say that? Because he recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're gonna see in two weeks that the religious leaders do not believe this, but the leper does. Isn't that interesting? Often those who are religious are late to the party. Why? Because they're religious. It's rules, not relationship. It's do's and don'ts, not I desperately need Jesus. Verse 40. If you are willing. Man, I love that. This is no name it, claim it. This is no demand. If you are willing, you can, you can make me clean. There's humility here. He's saying, I worship you. You're my Lord. You have the power to heal. You don't have to, but I'm asking that you would. That's a good way to pray. It's not low self-esteem. It's just God. Jim talked about this. Sometimes Jesus chooses to heal. Sometimes he doesn't. Regardless, we just say, heal, clean, cleanse, do what you gotta do. If you're willing, I trust you. I don't trust me. First word, misery. Second word, compassion. Verse 41, filled, filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and, and what? What did he do? 
He touched the man. How long do you think it's been since this man has been touched? Whoa, 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 Jesus, what's going on? Whoa, 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 whoa. He's not 50 feet away. He's not 200 feet. What are you doing? There would have been a gasp, a collective. <gasps> and by the way, this was not a tentative touch. The Greek refers to Jesus reaching out his hand and fastening or adhering to the leper. Rather than pulling back, he reached out and gripped. To be covered with leprosy means his condition was advanced. He'd been in that state for a long time. In other words, he was used to people running from him, not toward him. I always think of the prodigal. I always think of the prodigal when I read this every time. The prodigal takes his inheritance. He goes off. He spends it on prostitutes and and wine, women, and song. And he's like, I don't need my father. I'm good. I can handle it. I can do it. Stay away from me. I don't need your God. I don't need your religion. I don't need you. And he comes to the end of himself. By the way, that's always the place you'll come to when you say that to God. And he comes to the end of himself. He's like, hey, at least I can go back to daddy. But I'm assuming when I go back to daddy, he's going to be harsh. He's going he's gonna to lay down the law. What does the Bible say? That when the prodigal was far off, what did the father do who was a picture of God? He ran. Now, I'm not going to do it, but you ever see old men run? It doesn't look too good. In our mind, we're like, I'm amazing. But actually, people are like, oh, that's sad. Old men, when we run, we visualize 21-year-old Lee, not 54-year-old Lee. And he ran to him. This is what Jesus does. He runs. He goes to him. He grips him. He touches him. The crowd, Matthew's gospel tells us that the crowd had come with him into the town. So there's this massive crowd, most likely religious leaders, we're not sure, but there's a crowd, they want to be touched, they want to have healings, they want to be spoken to, they want to hear Jesus teach incredible things. The greatest fear that others had was touching him, and what does Jesus do? He touches him. You see, God comes to earth and what he doesn't do simply is look at the man and say, be clean. He could have done that. Oh, dude, okay, be clean. Be clean. From a distance, be clean. Jesus can do that. He's done that. He can heal with the word. And instead, and we've got to see this, he touches him. In the middle of a large crowd, Jesus stops his teaching, stops answering questions, and for a moment devotes all of his attention to this desperate man. He steps forward, and you almost get the picture, at least I do, that this man's face is on the ground, that this man is absolutely destroyed and devastated. Here's a broken, desperate, leprous man face down in the dirt, and he's begging Jesus, please make me clean. Can anyone make me clean? You see, when you come to the end of yourself, when you have no options, cool goes out the window, doesn't it? He wasn't cool. He wasn't casual. He was desperate. Now, what he's expecting is a word from Jesus, and what he gets is a touch from Jesus. 
Jesus touches this man. Please hear this. He feels Jesus touch him. This is just one of the many reasons why I love Jesus. Jesus touches those who are unclean. That's what he does. He's publicly dignifying this man. Touch is such an amazing gift. There are those who are child development psychologists. They'll tell you that without touch, a child doesn't develop or mature and can even die. I read a story this week. Man, it broke my heart. There's a man who every week, he goes to his barber to get his hair cut. And they asked him why, and he said this, and I quote, I'm so lonely, I just want to feel someone touch me. Just touch me. Just the back of my head, graze my ear, just touch me. This man has been alone for years, maybe decades, and his new life begins when Jesus touches him as a friend. How amazing is that? And, and we as the church, you ready? We get to, we don't have to, we get to be the body um, of Christ and we get to reach out and touch hurting, broken, desperate, needy, unclean people with the love of Jesus. So often people will say to me, I know it's hard to believe, probably no one in this room, I'll show them our circle chart and all the crazy things that we do, all the touches that we do. And they're like, why? Why do you do all that stuff? Maximum touches from the Savior. That's all we want to do. Counseling center, missionaries, work matters, a coffee shop, potter's house, children's, youth, college, Salt and light. We just want to touch, 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 touch. Literally just be a conduit through which Jesus can touch those who, who are untouchable. Let's go back and read our text from the beginning. We have some background now, right? A man with leprosy. Luke tells us he's covered in it. He's stumbling and bumbling around. The crowd is opening up like the Red Sea. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. It's a leper. And he comes to him. He just falls and, and on his face and begins to beg. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out and, and he touched the man. He said, I, I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that, verse 44, that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And he said, sir, yes, sir, right? You bet. But instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news as a result. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from, from everywhere. Verse 41 again, filled with compassion. I want us to see this. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Underline this word, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Immediately is one of Mark's favorite words. He uses it over 40 times in his gospel. I love this. <laughs> the leprosy had come on in stages 
when Jesus healed him, it left immediately. And here's what I wrote down. Here's what I wrote down. God, God does that. God can take a life that for decades has been filled with pain and sorrow and regret and, and addiction and touch it and immediately becomes a new creation. It's remade. Oh, come on now. Come on. How, how amazing is God? How amazing is God? In that split second, now think about this. The man's fingers did this. They came back. You like that? They came back. I'm going to take out my shoes and do it with my toes. His fingers came back. His toes came back. His face was pockmarked and his fingers became soft and supple. What the? Huh? The leprosy leaves him. And then Jesus, the ultimate buzzkill, what does he say? Don't tell anybody. Here's a million dollars. Don't spend it. <laughs> what? Don't tell anybody. Jesus says, don't, don't tell a soul. So what's he do? He tells everyone. He can't help himself. Do me a favor. I want you to write this down. This is really important. He can't not tell everybody. Hey, here's what I want you to do. And I know it's not one size fits all in here, but here's what I want you to do. Go back to your stone of remembrance when you became a follower of Jesus. Do you remember it? Do you remember it? I get it. It's not one size fits all. But for me at 17, I could not, I could not, not tell. I had to tell everybody. Teachers, coaches, students, mom, dad, cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, brothers, sisters. I had to tell everybody. I, I, I wasn't that great. I was, I'd been a horrible kid. You know my story. Some of you do. So I was, I was kind of a hypocrite, but I didn't care. He touched me. I'm changed. My theology was bad. I don't know what I was saying. I was just saying Jesus is amazing. And I was saying things that probably weren't theologically accurate. But you know why? It didn't matter. Because I, I could not tell everybody why. Because I had an encounter with the living God and I'm, I've never been the same since. The leper had an encounter with the living God and he's, he'll never be the same again. To me, to me, this is unbelievable. To me, this is where it gets, and I'm at the top of the list right here as a hypocrite. Oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. This is where it gets interesting and a little sad. Just an observation. Jesus rises from death and he tells you and me, tell everyone, and we struggle to tell anyone. It's amazing how upside down it can become, but that's a sermon for another day. Mercy, compassion, third word, message. Now, now let me make this personal for all of us because here's what we tend to do. We tend to read this, this story and we say things like this. That's amazing what Jesus did for that man. Yay. Woo, you go, Jesus. That's crazy. Whoa. The leper, wow, got healed. And we rejoice in that, but we could miss the fullness of what is actually happening, happening here because God, sometimes God will use a physical healing to teach a spiritual truth. 
And that's the case here. In Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah says, and I'm gonna summarize this for you, written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah says, all of us are lepers. I wanna put it on the screen. It basically says, all people are sinful and they're unclean. Like lepers, it's a condition that is deep. It's a condition that is incurable. It's a condition that makes us insensitive. It's a condition that causes us to live separated from God outside of the camp. It's a condition that ultimately will lead to our death. And God says that we're all sinners by nature and by choice. And because of our sin, we are in the same position as the leper. And many of us will say, Lee, I don't believe that. I don't think I'm as disgusting as a leper. You know why we say that? Because the earth is one big leper colony. And since there's nothing but lepers here, we don't see it that way, but God does. And so God comes to earth as the man, Jesus Christ, and in seeing sin, he has the same repulsion and reaction as you and I would to someone who is a person full of leprosy. If you and I were to see someone full of leprosy, we would step back and we'd say, oh, that's repulsive. That's sad. I've been to a leper colony in India and it's like, whoa, whoa, step back. Whoa, is this contagious? What's going on here? Why are we here? This doesn't look right. And when Jesus looks at sin, it is repulsive to him as leprosy is to us. But what does he do? He touches us. That's what he does. Remember the five words at the beginning of my talk to identify the leper. Unclean, unwanted, unworthy, unloved, isolated. You see, some of us would hear this. We would read this story and we would say this, unclean. That, that's me. The things I've done, the things I've said, the things I've thought, the things I should have done that I didn't do. Lee, I might walk into a room full of people, or I might walk into this, this sanctuary, this gym every Sunday, and I'm shouting out in my mind, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. For others in this room, you've had some horrible things done to you. And let me just say, I, I am so sorry about that. You have been abused and molested or cheated on or lied to or betrayed or taken advantage of and you feel as if your identity is unclean. I'm here to tell you, the truth is that Jesus cleanses and he, he puts a hand on all of us who come to him broken and desperate and he gives us a new identity. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Lee, you're, you're clean. I want you. I made you. I can't stop thinking about it. Because of that, you are, you are worthy. Maybe some of you in this room, you've never experienced agape love, unconditional love. And when Jesus touches you, he says, I love you and I'm not letting go. And oh, by the way, 
You're part of the community. <laughs> You're part of the community. So this morning, if you ask Jesus, would you please heal me and, and cleanse me? He would say, as he said to this man, I will be clean. That's why if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's able, now get this, to forgive us but also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. In Christ, we're clean. You're not, you're not an alcoholic or a drug addict or an adulterer or a pornographer. Those are things you've done, but that's not who you are. In Christ, you've been made clean. I want you to see this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're cleansed. Our identity has changed. Jesus is touching this man and he will do the same for us. He takes our filth away. He gives our dignity back and we get a brand new identity to go live a new life as a new creation. That's what Jesus gives us when he touches us. Maybe you're here and, and you're not a Christian. And you say, Lee, I, I didn't know this about Jesus. You see... All I ever heard about Christianity, all, all I've ever thought about Christianity is, is guilt. You say, all Christians do is just remind me all the time of all the things I, I, I do wrong. I've, I've never experienced this Jesus. I've never seen this Jesus in the Bible. And I would say true Christians. Christians who really care for your soul only want to remind you that sin separates you from God. They only want to remind you that sin breaks things. It destroys and, and it creates a massive God-sized hole in your heart. But Jesus forgives your sin and he cleanses and he recreates and gives you a new life filled with joy. In other words, it doesn't end with guilt. It ends with joy. Misery, compassion, message, last word, mission. As followers of Jesus, we're called to reach out with compassion, to love the unlovable and to touch the untouchable. That's our mission. Now there's a bunch of data out there. I'm not gonna go into it. But this data basically says that we're not as good as this as we used to be. So I pulled out the, the top three reasons as I looked at this data. And as I, as I give you these reasons, this isn't me trying to condemn anybody. Again, I'm at the top of the list. But as we look at this data, what do we do with it that helps us to stay on mission, maybe even to go on mission? So here's, here are the three top things for me that I think keep us from mission. Number one, in, in our selfie-centered world, we have become increasingly, increasingly obsessed with ourselves. So if I'm just taking all this time to take pictures of myself and look at other pictures of other people and go, ah, wait a second, I can do better than that or that makes me sad or I'll make them jealous or I'm, I'm all these different poses and pictures and this obsession with Lee. That means I'm not thinking about anyone else. If it's all about Lee, then it's not about my neighbor, my coworker, my classmate. The marginalized, I think you get the point. If I'm obsessed with Lee, I don't care about anybody else. Number two, we have less 
personal interaction with actual people, which makes it easy not to care. I want just to give you an example here. Let's say um, during the day I texted my wife. I texted Ruth. XOXOXO. That's love, love and hugs, right? Or love and kisses. What is that? What's the hug? Oh, uh, the hug. What's the X? Kiss. So it's hugs and kisses. Uh, there's no love in there. Just hugs and kisses. Okay. So I'm like, I love uh, hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. She types back hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. And then she's, I see on my phone, because I'm, I'm in a place where I can get it, the FaceTime. I call it the FaceTime. The FaceTime comes through. I'm, oh, I guess I have whatever. I can get it. And so um, the FaceTime, hey, she says, hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. I'm like, hugs and kisses. And then as I, she says, what time are you coming home? I'll be home at five o'clock. And I, I walk in the door and she runs to me and I put my head, stop, and I, I throw up my phone and it says, hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. Then she thinks, well, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. So she, as I walk in the living room, she surprises me on my blind side from the kitchen. And right, she goes, hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. You say, well, you're so close, but so far away. This thing called life is contingent upon actually physically doing life together. Verbal, nonverbal, hugs, kisses, holding, touch. Together. The reason we have trouble touching other people is that we don't, we don't touch those who are closest to us. Third, the overwhelming exposure of news and needs in the world is actually desensitizing us. Let me expand on this. Whenever we read something on a screen, um, everything get, get, gets equal time and thus looks equally as important. Let me give you an example, and this is literally my life this week in a 30-second span. In a 30-second span, um, I was on my phone, and there's this one Instagram thing I just love. It's called Half-Baked Harvest. I highly recommend it. Great recipes. And uh, it was like this new cheese dip thing. I'm like, oh, the cheese dip. And my phone kind of pings, and all of a sudden it comes through. Oh, wow, it's a story about massive child abuse. Oh, that's a bummer. And then it pings again. And all of a sudden, it's literally someone sent me a cat video. Oh, look at Fluffy with a yarn. Oh, it's great. And then it pings again. Um, X amount of people die because of terrorist attack. And then it pings again. Razorback update. Oh, how do we do? Oh, we won. Yay. Researchers tell us that our brains don't know how to distinguish between all those stories that show up on our phone. In other words, people killed by an act of terrorism doesn't grab my attention because it shows up right next to the cheese dip in the cat videos. We are called to compassionately care for real people who are alive and breathing and made in the image of God. Not just on a screen, but face to face. So let me ask us, who do we need to reach out and touch, both figuratively and literally? So here's what I did. I compiled a list. I'll call it a starter. Now let me just say this right now, because I know you're going to rebuke me afterwards. Don't. It's not an exhaustive list. I don't want you to be like, well, why isn't my veterinarian? Okay, I love your veterinarian, but I can't list everybody. Where's my barista? 
just think in general terms, okay? So here's a list, groups of people that could use a touch figuratively and literally from us. Um, how about those with depression and mental illness? You say, well, wow, Lee, they're kind of depressing and hard to be around. Exactly. Um, how about those who are lonely? You say, well, that's, that's a given. Again, they're lonely for a reason. Maybe they're non-social. Maybe they're, they're sad and depressed. Here's one. I want you to think about this. The elderly, especially those in a nursing home. When I was in college, my um, sophomore year, at the school I went to, it was Christian University, we had to do a, a Christian service. And I loved it. I, it wasn't a have to for me. I loved it. Um, but you didn't get to pick. And so they had assigned me to a, a nursing home nearby the university. And I'll be honest, I was like, oh man, I, well, I don't know about that. I'm like 19, 20, what? I don't know. And so I, I said, what do I do? They said, they'll tell you when you get there. So I drive to the nursing home, I get there. I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, uh, just walk around. If the door's open, you can go in. If it's closed, don't. And my first thought as I got there, I'm just gonna be real candid with you. I don't think this way now, but I did then. I'm like, it doesn't smell right in here. It smells like old people. And my first visual was people in walkers and wheelchairs and people who didn't have all their senses and it was just hard. I thought, I don't have anything to offer. So I come to the first door, I'll never forget. And I walk in and I knock, hey, hey, it's, I don't know why I gave my full name, it's Lee Epstein, hey. And this woman is in her bed and she looked like she was in her 80s. She's really old. And she, she goes, hello? And she was blind. I said, hey, hey. I said, I'm here from the school and I just, you know, want to come say hi. And she says, I, just, I find this so funny. This day, it's just so funny to me. She says, um, she says uh, will you sing for me? <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I said, well, I don't know. She, there's a, there's, there's a, a hymnal right there. It's on, it's on my, my foyer. And I look over and I find it. And next thing you know, I'm a kid. And it's like, then sings my soul. I'm singing. <laughs> my Savior God. She's like, oh, your voice is lovely. I'm like, hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then she begins to cry. And she says, will you, will you? Read the Bible to me. I can't read. And I start reading the book. Of, I, I'm, I'm like, I was trained to be a lawyer, not a pastor. Good grief. I'm a lawyer. I don't even know the Bible. I'm, I, you know, so I'm, I'm reading John. And she's crying. So I close the Bible and I say, um, Mrs. Smith, can I, can I, there's some things I can pray for. And immediately she thrusts up her hand. And I, I take her hand. She grips it really tight and she puts her other hand on top and she tells you some things I can pray for. And I pray and she says, it feels so good to touch you. There are some groups of people in this world who could use a touch from us. Depression, lonely, elderly, widows, widowers. Here's one. You ready for this one? Those from a different political party. 
those with different political views. Yeah, sometimes that's what we feel like when someone tells you to go, <laughs> go talk to someone with different political views. Ah! <laughs> ah! Don't believe the lie from the devil that everything is cut and dry and black and white on every issue. There's just nuance in life, right? We're complicated people. And by the way, everyone is made in the image of God. And you who have the spirit of God, you know better. Go talk, go love. Doesn't mean you have to agree. You can still love, you can still talk. Here's one. Um, how about those of the different race or ethnicity? How about refugees? You think it's a little challenging for people to come into a country they've never lived in to try and make a way, make a life? You try it. I've traveled the world and every time I get off in a foreign country, I'm like, help me. How about women who get pregnant outside of marriage? How about singles? Single parents, the disabled, those with cancer. Here's one. Anyone who's not in our clique or social class. I saved the best for last. Anyone we're holding a grudge against. You know, there's no room for that in the kingdom of God. If you have ought in your heart against your brother or sister or they have it towards you, get it right. Now I get it, maybe they won't get it right, but Paul says as, as much as it's up to you, do the best you can. More often than not, you can though. Take the first step. Okay, to Jesus, no one is untouchable. So here's my last question. Are we moved like Jesus with compassion for those who are untouchable. And I want you to see this behind me. If we, if we are in this room and we can identify with the leper, that is, we have been moved from misery to compassion, from misery to mercy, it means that we are now on mission. It's time for us to start living that way. And I get it, many of you in this room are. But for those of you who aren't and you know and love Jesus, now is the time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Can I have the prayer team come on up? The worship team come on up? There at your own private altar, as I often say, you're doing business with God. I'm gonna encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I... I grew up in the church, but I don't think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus or I don't know what I'm doing. Or I got invited to a gym and next thing you know, this guy's preaching at me, and, but I'm interested. Let me just encourage you, don't make it about a church, a gym, a TV program, uh, your youth pastor that maybe said some bad things to you or mom and dad that maybe were hypocritical. Make it about Jesus. The Jesus of our passage is your Jesus. And he wants to touch you and love you and cleanse you and recreate you just like the leper. So I'm gonna encourage you, if you're like, I wanna know more about salvation, as the prayer team continues to come up, I want you to go talk to somebody about that. I'll be standing up here. Ruth and I will be standing up here. Come, we wanna to explain to you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. For many in this room, you, you know and love Jesus. But for some of you, you've gotten off mission cares of this world, besetting sins, 
I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but you know. Let's get back on mission. We have all of eternity to celebrate our victories. Woo, it's going to be a party. We have just a short time to achieve them. Life is a vapor. He meant it. Let's touch the untouchable. By the way, we don't have to. We get to. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, you're so good. Thank you for inviting us into your mission. As we come to you in brokenness and desperation, you cleanse us and then you make us a part of your team, a part of your mission. We get to do the things that matter for you. So for those who have strayed, and certainly I stray at times, I pray that today would be a day of confession, repentance, renewal, and back on mission. For those who don't know you, we pray that today would be the day of salvation, God. They would look full into the face of Jesus. Christ in Christ alone. We pray today would be a day where they, they come broken and desperate, confessing sin and giving their lives over to Jesus and that Jesus will touch them and make them clean. And we ask all this in his name, amen.